We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Welcome to the Idiot's Guide to the Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's clever. I like that. (laughs) We're embarking on a four-part journey where Mr. Crypto and I are in the prime of our lives, according to General Epanchian today. So we created a before you read, that's where we're going to have like biographical information and all the stuff we wish we had known before starting this book. Today is going to be focusing on just part one, if you will. So speaking about talking of things, wow, does this book open up with a plethora of focusing on people's faces. Can you imagine if real life was like this? Like, I'm just like, this is my friend Crypto. He's got a relatively pleasant face, a strange amount of peach fuzz just hanging off his triangle-shaped chin over here. Oh, I, I like triangle-shaped better than like, uh, you know, those other shapes that they give chins. <laughs> I think it's fairly obvious to say that books are in a unique silo, right? When we think about television, TV shows, even comic books, you have this visual way of presenting information where words support that. This is where words are the primary forces that drive readers, and it's reasonable to assume, okay, we do need to describe the faces, but Dostoevsky goes out of his way to call out how characters' faces look. I mean, let's let's talk about Mushkin. His face was decidedly a pleasant one for all that. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> that's, that's a pleasant main character face if I've ever seen one, right? Yeah. And Rogozhin, who we know is kind of questionable, like Rogo meaning horns, no symbolism there, right? Yeah, right at that. Yeah, that's just. <laughs> He's described as having a malicious smile, but his forehead was high and well formed and atoned for a good deal of the ugliness of the lower part of his face. And you can see very easily, he's kind of painting these pictures of who are really these characters, because we do see in this first part, Rogozhin, not necessarily the best of guy. Mishkin, probably the best of guys there could be. (laughs) Very pleasant. But he does a great job of it, though. I mean, I can close my eyes and picture Rogozhin and and think, okay, so he has that kind of maybe poor smile, you know, where it creases down and he has that, you know, receding hairline. So yeah, we're in our primes of our lives, obviously kind of written here, but you feel that he's aging a little bit and it, it does print, it does paint a very pretty picture. And I think that's kind of very relevant for the times too, because pho- photography was very new in the world and, you know, Dostoevsky might not have seen a lot of, you know, pictures. So I, I think it's a brilliant move to kind of draw people into the story, especially in the beginning when he's kind of bombarding you a little bit with all the different characters. Oh, for sure. And I think he's drawing your attention to it because the word face, at least in my translation, appears 278 times. Woo! Wow. That's a lot. And it's worth pointing out, too, that I think there is a very emotional climax to kind of when they're talking about the guillotine. First of all, weird party breakers like, hey, guys, how you doing? You guys want to talk about the death penalty? Like, 
It, it kind of reminds me a lot of fun at the parties, isn't he? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the bet by Shekhov. You remember that story where it's just like a party and they make this bet that ends up into this bravado experience, but it's all meant to say, what is the value of life? Like, what should you be doing? What is the best way to live? And um, this story kind of explores that a little bit too, the way they, they talk about the honesty of faces and how it's like the last five minutes that before the prisoner's going to die that he asks, like, you know, to, to see a picture painted of that, that that would be the true self. And it's only then that they start living and really start appreciating what they have in life. It all starts with that honesty of the face and how face-to-face communication, even today, is very important for how much we trust someone, I would say. It is very interesting that how that dynamic hasn't changed much over really the centuries where we see and you notice how quickly Rogozian kind of flips out about getting information that obviously is a complete rumor um, about, you know, uh, Natasha's marriage. And that if you'd seen this from somebody's face, you know that it, it was a rumor because, you know, we have little hints and lies about, you know, micro expressions on our faces and that there, there's nothing better than open face to face communication because that's it is more pure, I feel like. That's true. And you can even compare that to Ganya. Right. When he's like writing Aglaya the letter, like, hey, if you will marry me, um, I won't marry Agl- um, Nastasia instead. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Like that's like sending like the text message breakup like by nowadays standards. Like you should probably have that conversation about marriage to their face and not through a nonverbal like method such as writing a letter, I would think. Well, today it would be just like emojis. It'd be like the hug emoji, some type of cross, and then like, I don't know, the, you know, your I'm out emoji. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's worth saying that face-to-face communication still moves the world forward primarily hundreds of years later that we are today. And I mean, this isn't probably the most interesting part of the book. I, I certainly wouldn't start a four-part major discussion series on this channel with that being our first point that we'd bring up. Okay, but in all honesty, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think that this is done on purpose. I think that everybody sees Michigan and as a a con man, right? But he is truly being genuine. That is the real him. And I think that paints, you know, kind of the standard for our, our characterization and our growth of his character throughout the story that he, he has an honest face. He just, you know, it's kind of that saying, oh, I just have one of those honest faces. He's got a pleasant face. His face is so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already started kind of talking into what happens, right? This, this book opens up with Mushkin with Lebedoff, who's the gossip king, if you will, and that evil, unpleasant face Rogosian on the train. And they're all <laughs> talking about Hottie McBody, Nastasia, right? Like, who's going to... It's 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 the Russian bachelorette of who's going to marry this chick, right? <laughs> it's so terrible. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's kind of like, ugh, a little bit cringy of these guys. And, and, and poor Mishkin, he doesn't know what he's getting into because he just kind of sat down and... He hasn't been in town. He doesn't know what's going on. And they just kind of start like going in and he's like, uh, okay. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Christmas tree in a wedding story that we did by Dostoevsky. Like there's something about Dostoevsky's view of marriage, not being a symbol of love, but being a symbol of social mobility. 
I, I think he kind of paints that into his novels a little bit. Status symbol, you know, it, it, they're not marrying for love. It's I need that arm candy because it's super important for me to take her to a party and show her off and it's going to help me move up. Yeah, I don't know much about Nastasia other than she must have body karate because everybody seems to be all about her. Now, body karate. We arrive at General Iponchin's house in St. Petersburg. I, I, I'm having flashbacks to Anna Karenina with the Moscow St. Petersburg thing now. Now, the Iponchins are more well to do, kind of upper class. And uh, we just kind of say, What's up? What's up, Jen? Like, <laughs> oh, we're not oh, here. Like we're, we're, here. <laughs> we're here to hang out with your your servants talk to them about things like the death penalty weird icebreaker again and then we're not asking you for anything we're just introducing ourselves and the general is like so excited he's like i'm getting you a job you can live with my my employee ganya over here like just gets hooked up as soon as he finds out that mishkin's just a nice guy that he has good intentions isn't that kind of warming though to your heart that you put good stuff out there and you're a good person and good things happen to you. I mean, and he does, he's not schmoozing him. Like he's not trying to just bum a place to crash. He's just generally a good person and you want to do good things for good people. I feel like. Yeah. Mishkin won me over. I was a little annoyed with him at first, but he won me over with, with him being a good oh, intention guy. Agreed. Cause he's like, Oh man, like he's too goody to shoe. Like you just like, you want to smack me like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Mishkin heads over with Ganya to his place afterwards, where we meet that. Well, well first we learn that Ganya is vying for both Aglaya and Nastasia. Aglaya Uh-oh, on the DL, and Nastasia, Nastasia for that cash. Right. <laughs> now at Ganya's place, we meet the Evolgen version of society. Right, like they have tenants, corridors are more cramped. You've got people sharing rooms. These aren't destitute poor, but they are not as upper class and well-to-do as the Apunchins is kind of how I took them. They're a little bit of a foil to the Apunchins, I would say. Yeah, agreed. I mean, if you can afford some type of housing in a tenement building, you're not destitute by any means. It's obviously not glamorous living like other people in the story, but it definitely shows that they are a cut above the others. And in the same way that General Ponchin, like at this point, we're like, oh, he seems like a good guy, I would say. We meet a Vulgin, General Vulgin, who is literally the best storyteller I've ever heard. Like the story about how he's on the train and the woman throws a cigar out the window. So he throws her dog out the window. Oh, I was rolling at that one. Absolutely hysterical. But we also learn everything he says is literally a lie. Like the man cannot tell the truth, it seems. He is entertaining, though. I mean, he's that one friend you want at a party. Do you think that this is a little bit of kind of Dostoevsky of making fun of himself? That's how I kind of took it. In what sense? That that he is crafting this story and you aren't to know what is believable or what is kind of exaggerated. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. To me, it was... Um sometimes we lie to cover up things. Sometimes it's to advance our position. I could not figure out in this part one, what was Evolgen's MO, right? Like they give you these hints, like, well, don't give him money. But I'm like, well, is he just bad with money? Like, it's kind of like Dostoevsky gets people. We, we talk about how he's the best character development author of all time. He, this this is the character that's kind of like the marmalade off, I think, of Crime and Punishment. We, we see <laughs> yeah. we see a version of him now. You, you you may see him open up over time where we'll learn more about what he really 
what he really is all about as we go through this. Oh, you dropped me some foreshadowing? Because I kind of think of, like, Evolgian, is he doing this to cover up his own inadequacies? Hmm, now you got me thinking. It could mm. be. I, I was very vague mm. on purpose on this. But enter, but enter dramatically, as if there's any other way to enter a Dostoevsky novel. <laughs> Nastasia, who then uh, throws her coat on Mushkin. Yeah, he, she throws her coat on him, and then she's like, introduce me, like thinking like he's a servant. And then he does <laughs> introduce her. <laughs> well, now, oh. do you think it's because he is just like, oh, okay, she made a mistake because I'm a good guy? Or do you think he was so flabbergasted by her? Because I feel like he almost falls in love with her immediately. Mishkin is, to me, a no-skin-off-my-back type person. Like, he, he's outside of social norms. Like, like in no way, you can't, yeah. you can't offend him by social standards, right? Because he does talk to these servants about the, the death penalty and doesn't wait where he's supposed to. Because he's just saying hi and not, like asking for things like he literally exists outside of social standards. So social pressures aren't something you can punish him with. He can't be punished with being the lowly servant because he doesn't care about those things. Oh man, that's got me thinking of like, is this one of the major lessons that I needed to learn from this book? Wouldn't that be nice to just be able to throw off social norms like that? I'd like to turn it on and off. You know what I mean? Like at parties, you kind of, you kind of want them on, but then like, like when someone starts doing something, okay, let's turn this off. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you do kind of need it. I mean, there is a point of in, in real life. I don't think this would work. Meaning specifically like Michigan. I don't think his character could survive in a capitalistic America society in 2022. Well, maybe Dostoevsky is making us question what would a perfect, being be like i don't know we're getting ahead of ourselves here oh yeah 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 i don't know it's, it's good right, though like, right i mean it makes like, you like, think so much oh this is a great book great book rogosian and lebedev enter and they're playing you know the bachelor russian bachelorette still basically and you know rogosian's like i'm gonna make it rain cash just so you know i'm gonna make that dowry just flow here Party comes you to a close. Imagine these guys walking in with the slow walk, you know, and like they have the top hats and the cane and it just like the smoke blows and they're just like $1 bills. Like that's what I imagine these guys doing. They're so ridiculous. Ugh, I, I love to hate them. They would be total music video background characters, I think. They'd be okay, really good, good, good. All right, so party comes to a close when Mishkin steps in between Ganya getting a little heated to throw a punch and he takes the punch instead. Michigan retires to a room where he's upset, but then Ganya's like, can you please forgive me? He's like, okay. <laughs> Just instant forgiveness, right? So... Yeah, that's his MO. So Kolya says, all right, you want to go to Nastasia's home? It's over here, right? And uh, there we are still playing Russian Bachelorette, where we have Ganya, Fedoroshenko, and Totsky all playing to say, what's the worst thing I've ever done? <laughs> What kind of a game is this? This is like the 19th century. Never have I ever, right? Like oh, we can, you know, yeah. like you could admit like the worst things that you've done, but here it's like, it just I don't know. We'll, we'll get into this discussion here. We're obviously very excited about this book. So everyone professes their love to Nastasia. No shock there, where she rejects everyone in terms of returning the money to Totsky, the pearls to General Ponchin. And then that's when Rogozhin arrives with his hundred k uh, cash, if you will, to Nastasia. She throws the money into the fire and says, there you go, Ganya. Get it out. Fist it with your bare hands. <laughs> That's what my, transla- <laughs> my translation said. I cracked up at this. <laughs> it cracked oh. up, but it was so intense. This was definitely like one of those scenes like right before the curtain 
comes down because it was so intense. But oh, uh, yeah, she, this is the end of the episode. Cut to black right there. As you as you zoom out of the money burning in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. And Ganya kind of has his breakdown. He can't do it. Like you see him go through his crisis, if you will. She takes the money out, leaves with Ergosian in a disgraceful manner. Kind of end plot for part one is what I'd say. And man, Nastasia, I... I, I I went through this phase of like feeling for her, but then also kind of like, I don't know, like angry at her. Like she kind of reminds me of what's the best way to describe this kind of like a, a, an only fans, like account holder <laughs> where like, like she, she says, Oh, I'm not simping for these guys or this money, but she's totally beholden to the request. Right? Like she's liberated by like, Oh, I make all this money, but she's also, beholden to it in a sense too. Like it's a, it's a parasitic relationship I would say with her. Well, Dostoevsky wrote her perfect. You, you definitely empathize with her. And right when you start to kind of feel bad for her, you have the rug pulled out underneath you and be like, Oh, she does know what she's doing. She is totally manipulating all of these men to try to get the highest spot. And not to say that I, I like your analogy better. Not to say like she's a gold digger, but she definitely is is manipulating the situation, I feel like. Oh, she knows what's going on. Because because if you look at it, when they play this game, and General Eponchin and um, Totsky admit their worst thing, they've both done worse things to her, right? In terms of General Eponchin trying to have an affair with her, right? Which I view as, as worse than than scolding this woman and then turning it around to be a good story about your past. And then Totsky... Sure most likely abused her as a little girl, right? They talk about him being an unreserved sensualist, how he can't control himself, how he whisked her away to this cabin out in the middle of nowhere. Like my mind's kind of like, I feel like I'm being like, all of these are hints that he most likely abused her and he's buying off his grief. His sin with these, with this money is almost like what he thinks he can do. And this is why it's the brilliance of Dostoevsky, this roller coaster of emotions. You're sympathetic for, her, then you kind of see what she's doing in manipulating the situation, and you get kind of mad and be like, oh, she knows what she's doing. And then you get this reveal, and you kind of are pulled back again, and you, you jump on her side and be like, oh, well, they deserve what she is doing to them. Uh, it, it just, it, it brought me back and forth, back and forth. I'm like having this tug of war, you know, in my heart and, and what I feel is, you know, I guess good or bad. I, I don't know. I'm, I've got a new name for this one. You ready for this one? Okay. So, okay. So we talk about Dostoevsky having like these roller coaster whip, you know, ripping rides. I'm going to call it the Dosta coaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm on right now, you know, and, I, and I feel like my coaster. seat's like not latched all the way down either. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to come flying out. <laughs> so let's talk about money and intentions a little bit more, right? So giving money. Okay. I, loaded question here. And this is going to be very open. I just want a very quick answer of yes or no. Giving money, good or bad? No other context. Bad. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So let's let's talk about this, okay? So General Eponchin meets Mishkin, and he doesn't want to give money to beggars, right? It's only once Mishkin's just like, yeah, what's up? Just wanted to meet you. How you doing? You doing good? You doing good? You, my name's Mishkin. Did I tell you? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's only once he comes like completely like a child, like not asking for anything. Only then does he want to just like hook him up with a job and set him up with a place to stay. Like it's, it's that, that intention of giving with nothing in return. General 
punch in giving money in that situation, good or bad? I, th- I think bad still. I feel like really? it's a crutch. I feel like it's a crutch and that people become reliant on that. Maybe not Michigan because he is supposed to be our perfect ideal person and, and it won't see the greed in it of easy money. But I think that, and maybe that's the point of only this guy is somebody that you should give your money to. Okay, well, I was I was setting you up and now you totally ruined <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now you're on a, a so, Dosta okay. Coaster. <laughs> I'm on the Dosta Coaster with you right now. My view of this was this was kind of like philanthropy of, of giving with nothing in return. I will say I will speak for some portion of the audience out there that probably that may also feel that that was a good thing, right? Like helping out others in need of it with with no expectation of return. Some may view that as good. I, I think I get your point being the give a man to fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish, he, he lives for a lifetime, something along those lines. But and we I, know how religious Dostoevsky is. I mean, this is his version of it, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, let's Let's talk about Rogozhin, because I think we're going to agree on this one. Oh, this scumbag? I mean, <laughs> interesting character, I will call him. <laughs> Sorry. He, okay, so he's purchasing the highest level of OnlyFans Nastasia that there is, right? He's giving yeah, her Yeah, he's got the premium money. package. Yeah, okay. <laughs> good or bad form of giving money there? Uh, good? Because <laughs> his intentions are pure or, or known? I don't know. Bad, obviously. I'm, yeah, I'm being, I mean, I'm he's good. obviously like buying her freedom, buying some morality from her. I, I think that one's pretty easy. Now here's another one. Generally, Punchin gives tries to give Nastasia a pearl necklace. Good or bad? Uh, bad for the bad reasons. Same reason, right? Same. Okay, okay, okay. We, we're, yeah. we're agreed on that one. Now, what about this one, General Punchin? Okay, after he's yelling at this woman on her deathbed and feels really guilty, he starts donating money to charity. I think I think it said in my in my translation, donating yeah. money to charity. Good or bad? Good. I, I that think one's that good. If, okay. If, if, well, if you're remorseful, I mean, if he's genuinely remorseful about this, you've grown as a person and a character, and you're like, I know that this isn't going to make up for the wrong that I've done, but I'm going to at least try. And that says something a lot about a person's character. Okay, in finally, I, th- I think I got you now. I think I got you in my trap. Finally, I got you on the Dosta Coaster. So okay. to me, Take another me. way, and it's totally fine to say that's good, because that char- charity is a good thing, I think, right? But at the same time, maybe he's buying off his grief. Maybe he's buying off his shame in a sense. And I would compare that now to Totsky, who is at the same time trying to buy off his grief and sin of what he may have done to Nastasia at a young age by trying to give her money to get her just to kind of go away and be quiet. So I think at the, at the end of the day, regardless of, of you guys out there listening to us now, of whatever you chose, I don't think any of this means you're a bad person no matter what you chose. What I think it means is intentions matter, not just your actions. And I think that's kind of a big part of this book is what are your, what are your intentions when you do things, not just what you do? Because if you look at our laws, particularly, I'll speak for America here, our laws are not really written from an intention standpoint most of the time. It's more about did you do this or did you not? Like confirm provable fact as opposed to intentions that you can't improve or prove out. And I think it's this struggle Dostoevsky had with his whole life of, of laws aren't enough, but morality must come into the picture because that's what really matters, I think, in these situations is that intention and, and pushing of goodwill into the world. Hmm. 
I know I'm very mixed. Again, I'm on the I'm on the coaster here because I, I first want to say that the intentions of this don't matter, and that's kind of the point of Michigan is what he does doesn't really matter. Everybody just genuinely seems to like the guy, and everything seems to be falling into place for him as the story unfolds. And I, I see your point, and I think about a lesson that I used to teach my students is in Florida here, there was an incident where kids went out and their tent intent was to have a practical joke and they pulled up a stop sign and the next day somebody ran the stop sign and hit and killed somebody and the law is you're supposed to stop and the person that didn't stop getting in trouble but they found the kids that pulled the stop sign and they got vehicular manslaughter and went to jail for it so like intentions do matter but they don't matter and is it does it matter the intent of the person the intent of the person that they're trying to help uh do they receive that help in a, in a graceful manner or not or or understand their intent i don't know it's very complicated obviously and I, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer here yeah well i i think there's a difference though too between intent and then the action of pulling safety and potentially causing harm to other others regardless of your intent like there might be an overriding factor there too is is one way to look at that situation. Yeah, it's it's a web and I guess that's what it is is I don't think it's as clear cut as intent and not intent. I think there is more to it than that. And that that's why I'm very confused on it as I I don't know how I feel personally about it as many of our viewers may be as well. And now that we're all depressed with these sad stories. <laughs> well, and to to be clear, I also said intent matters. I didn't say intent was the only thing. Just, just to clarify that point. That's true. You're right. The next thing that we could talk about is what makes life good, right? Because, because here's one of the things. I Googled these names because every time we read a Dostoevsky, we have to spend a couple minutes talking about the name translations, right? So I'm like, okay, what, what does Mishkin mean? I, I don't know. Uh, what, what does Lev mean? You'd think I'd know Lev because you'd think all the Tolstoy that we've read, I would have looked that up by now. True. I thought we did look that up once. Hmm. If we did, I'm stupid and I forgot. But I looked it up, and Lev <laughs> means li- I, I, Lev means lion, and Mish in the Mish in the Michigan means mouse, which I did not know. Now, when I did lion this, mouse. when I did this, I stumbled upon someone else's point. So I'm sh- I'm sharing someone else's point here. But they said, hey, there's some comparisons here with Aesop's Fables, where there's the mouse and the lion, where the lion captured a mouse, and then he's just like, okay, I'm gonna let you go. You know, pay me back with a favor one day, and then when the lion gets caught one day, the mouse frees him, which shows you that regardless of one's stature, strength, like you can always look for help from others. Like you don't just have to have help from, I guess, people of strength. And I think you can kind of view Michigan's characters that way too, right? In terms of him being meek, you can make fun of him, call him a servant, make me announced into this room, even though you're a prince. But as soon as you go to strike that that sister, the girl in the room, He's going to take that blow for you. Like he's, he's the mouse when it comes to himself, but a lion when it comes to protecting others is one way to look at this character. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't think of that before. That's really cool. Now here's a lot of layers to this book. (laughs) Here, here's my addition is you'll notice he kept talking about that dang donkey. (laughs) I know there's something oh. there with that donkey. Now this is one's my fable about donkeys too. There, there is. <laughs> I, I looked this one up. I'm like, is there a lion and a donkey? And there is one where, basic, <laughs> oh, cool. where, where basically this, this donkey finds lion skin on the ground, puts it on to go into a town to scare everyone and steal food. And then he oh, does yeah, it. I've heard this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. He does it a couple times. Villagers catch him and then beat him. So the idea is don't pretend to be something you're not. 
Right. So that's one thing. And I was like, okay, well I can kind of see that with like, you know, the prince is himself as opposed to everyone else is putting on this facade, like adhering to social pressures as opposed to Michigan's just being the donkey. Right. I was like, well, maybe that one, but there's another one with um, the lion and the donkey again, where the lion's like all proud. The donkey kind of like brays, laughs at him, insults him. And then the, the lion's like, okay, well look at who's saying it. And he just moves on, doesn't get upset. And that's kind of the same thing with Michigan too, where you could say whatever you want to him, but he, he learns to know himself and not take validation from others. So regardless of whether Dostoevsky met that or not, I, who cares? It's in the story. That's the analysis, right? <laughs> and we can take it that way. And I think it's a beautiful interpretation. And I think that it helps give a lot of clarity to why he does the things that he does or doesn't do for that matter. Well, and I think that leads us to what what is a good life? What makes someone a good person or beautiful for that matter? And what Dostoevsky does try to do, because he stated this, I think it was like in some letters when you look it up, he talks about how he did try to write, I don't know if I totally agree with how it was executed, but he said he did try to write Michigan as kind of like a Christ-like figure or the embodiment of Christ. I, I, I don't know if I took it that exact way, but there were some things like in terms of how children just flock to him, right? Like, Clearly, that's kind of evoking Matthew 18, you know, chapters one through verses one through five, in a sense, with the, you know, the, the, who is the most powerful in the kingdom of heaven and be like children to come to heaven, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of have like those comparisons. You've got compassion for the fallen, right? Like, like you talked about earlier, like the pity for Nastasia. Why does Michigan just instantly just like, I, I will love you. I, hey, let's get married. I love you. Like, it's almost like this pity where you also use all Jesus would have pity for the fallen, the prostitutes, the, the people, the lepers. Oh, Mary Magdalene, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, you saw that that compassion form of love. Not, not romantic love, but compassion love is what you saw. And you see a lot of compassion love from Michigan is what I would say. I think it depends on how his journey ends up. I, I haven't finished the novel, as we said. And once I do, maybe I can make a better comparison of that journey, the, the Christ journey to Michigan. But right now, I I don't know. It, it, it's there a little bit. I think it's hinted at, but I don't think it's a one-for-one for, one for me. Well, you have things like he instantly forgives, just like children and just like Jesus. And he also gives with no expectation of return. So there's a lot of things there. But how do we take it, right? And here's the way I struggle with with this with this goal. And, and maybe this was the intent that Dostoevsky wanted me to ask these questions. Who knows? But do we, do we take advantage of those that are just too dang nice, too kind? Those that we know won't fight back, do we push them because there is no retribution? And does that make us worse for that? <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't it kind of strange, though, that we sometimes pick on those people overtly more than others. I even did it earlier in this video and I, I kept my, I catch myself doing that. I called him a goody two shoes as a negative, as an insult. Mm. Mm. And like, why do we go out of our way to be mean to the nice people? I, and again, I don't know if that is a me thing, an American thing, a Florida thing. I don't know, but we, we do that a lot, right? We like to see, to pull down the heroes. We like number one to be beat by the underdog. Yeah. Poor Michigan. But then, you know, general revulsion, He's hysterical, right? He gets away with these things that are, are considered charming because he's funny. It's something about that class clown that can just get away 
was so much more because he's funny, because he's charming, because he's fun to be around. And we we excuse the questionable morality that, that the character sometimes does, uh, maybe because, I don't know, do we want to see people fail? Is that is that something in humans? Um, we've talked about it before, crab mentality, right? The idea that when someone starts to get above us in economic status, we try to pull them back down. There, there's something about seeing other people succeed is almost like taking away an opportunity from yourself. I don't know. There's something about us wanting to see others fail. We sometimes always look for the negative of things. And here are these characters. We are, are we trying to punish? Do we want Michigan to fail? Is that why he's being set up so high? Do we want him to become like these others? Or do we want him to man, not, not manipulate? That's the wrong word. Do we want him to inspire the others to become better? Like he, like he is, Man, this book's incredible, and I'm only, you know, part one done. Wow. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and very deep, and we will continue to explore all of these themes as we continue to go. I've got lots of other themes kind of lined up for what I know kind of lines up for the the next few parts, but this idea of being a good person, and what does it bring you in life, and what does it mean to have good intentions is something that I think we need to stay honed in on. And, and again, there's lots more to talk about with like the plot structure and, and uh, the rising and falling. We'll, we'll get more to that as we go through this. So all in due time, all in due time, just part one. If you just started on this video and are having a great time, hit that like button. We'd really appreciate it. But also check out the playlist down below where you can make sure you check out that before you read video and follow along with us as we do a part by part discussion on the idiot and what it means to us. I have been Una. And I appreciate your time today. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Crypto here. Peace.